Welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, where we discuss e-commerce issues and whether our guests today automated, delegated, or eliminated them and why. Your host is Will Christensen, co-founder of Data Automation. And again, welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. Welcome everybody to this episode of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, sponsored by Data Automation, hosted by me, Will Christensen. We're pretty excited today to be welcoming a very special guest to our podcast today. Today, we have Ronnie Tasia on the line. Ronnie is a successful e-commerce entrepreneur and digital marketer. The digital nomad believes in transforming the way a company views and applies their digital solutions to help focus on people-centric values and trackable results. His software, fashion, and tech wearables e-commerce companies have expanded globally in 15 countries. So welcome, Ronnie, to the show. We're excited to have you. Thanks, buddy. Super excited to be here. And Ronnie, let's let the audience know, where are you at right now? I'm in, uh, I'm in Bangkok, Thailand, living the dream through the COVID phase. So it's been phenomenal uh, staying in Bangkok. Yeah, before we started the podcast, we were talking a lot about, you know, hey, what social distancing look like for you? It's interesting as we as we talk about this global pandemic, and that's not what we're going to talk about on our podcast today, but it is interesting to hear different people's views. So same thing's happening over here. It's happening over here. They're opening up. Today is June 10th. So June 10th, 2020, just to give you guys some perspective on when this podcast episode was started. So all right, well, we're going to dive in here. Tell us a little bit about your business and how long you've been at it. I own about 15 different e-commerce companies. So I have a slew of different companies, uh, all, all held together under one umbrella. I started my first business about six years ago in the watches niche. And today, we, through acquisitions, we've actually gotten into you know software. We've gotten into you know, watches, sunglasses, uh, content websites related to those, uh, to those particular niches. And that's where we are in 2020. Most people come to us and ask us how we did during COVID. Uh, the answer I could tell you in the beginning is that some businesses are up and some businesses are definitely done. Uh, Contrading watches and sunglasses is a luxury item. So, yeah, well, and we're seeing that as well. Data automation has a kind of a sprinkling of uh, a lot of different industries, and you know, I've got one client who sells cakes for dogs, PuppyCake.com. If you want to go check it out, and she's doing great. She's like 20% up year over year because people are adopting more and more dogs uh, right now as they're quarantined. So it's, it's very interesting to see what's there. And so the automation she's paid for to kind of push things out, get, get where it is, has really paid off because, you know, she's seen a spike. I got another guy who sells headsets and he's way up year over year. I've got another one who sells party supplies and she's down. So, I mean, it just depends on, on your industry, exactly like you're saying. Some are up, some are down. So tell me a little bit about your journey. What got you into e-commerce? Yeah, I mean, look, I started, uh, I'm an adult immigrant to Canada. Myself and my family, we immigrated to Canada up in 2005. And one of the first jobs I actually got while I was in Canada was selling a door-to-door radio for, for a Punjabi radio station. So language that I didn't actually speak back then because, you know, uh, most, most of us speak Hindi or Hindi and English. So I taught myself the language a little bit because it's a, it's a niche, it's a niche uh, Indian language. And then so I was going door to door selling radio ads and stuff. And a couple of years into that, I was just like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I, I can't do this anymore. And I burnt out because I, di- I didn't even have a car. So I was taking public transit to go sell door to door radio back in the day. So, I mean, it was good, man. I mean, you know, we closed about half a million dollars in sales. But, you know, having said that, what I did know after two years of doing it was I'm never going to do sales again. 
And then I said, look, there's an opportunity. 2008 probably hit. And then, you know, yeah, I was halfway through, I was unemployed. And I said, look, I want to try uh, this thing called digital marketing, right? And I said, okay. So I taught myself how to do AdWords. I taught myself, you know, Bing ads. I taught myself all that kind of stuff. And uh, there was a job opportunity that opened up in HSBC because it was very new back then, right? So people are like, oh, here's this new digital thing. You're a young buck. You'll understand how to do this, blah, blah, blah. So sure enough, fair enough. I said, okay, I'll go. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and then it's like, uh, you know, this 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 thing, digital, you know, you you young, you youngins can understand it. So basically, I went to work for HSBC. And about three months into it, I was like, man, this is not something I actually want to be doing because it's a bank. And God bless HSBC soul. The problem is it takes about three months to plan a campaign. Three months to plan. So if I have to get like one banner ad out, it takes three months for people to develop it, to approve it. And the level of approvals is basically 10 levels of approval. So like Vancouver, Vancouver to Toronto, Toronto to Buffalo, Buffalo to New York, New York to Hong Kong, Hong Kong to London. And then the feedback comes up down the chain. So I was like, oh, I don't think so I'm good for this, man. So about eight months in, I said, okay, catch you guys later. This is good. However, I was very lucky to get a job at Best Buy. So Best Buy, luckily, very digital forward looking, very retail focused and very, very e-com focused. So I worked there for a couple of years and, you know, that's what I bit my teeth into, into like, what is proper digital marketing? And of course I was allowed to make, I mean, I made a lot of mistakes there too. I mean, there was a, it was a campaign we ran during Christmas where, you know, I overspent the budget by hundred thousand dollars, but that made them about $10 million in revenue. But basically I got, you know, I got my hand slapped for it. And I was like, look, I made you $10 million for a hundred grand. <laughs> well, who am I getting my hand slapped? So, because they said you went over budget. So I was like, well, Randy, this is a thing, man. Uh, uh, so then I, that's what I said, yeah, I'm, I'm like, look, I think I'm, I'm sick of making you guys money. And you know, when people said that, like you spent over spent a hundred grand, people didn't look at the results of, you know, $10 million in sales. So I said, look, what, if it was my company, I'd spend a million dollars tomorrow if, if I knew I was getting $10 million back in return. And I literally said the next day I walked out and I said, look, I'm going to try and, you know, cut my teeth and sink my teeth into this digital marketing and try and do something. So I started looking into different niches. Movement watches was one of the big things back then. I said, look, I can probably try and do something like that. So we started, we started working in the watches, uh, watches business. So that's how the company started. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So it's funny when you talk about, you know, what you did there. I talk about this book a lot on my podcast. There's a book called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Have you read it yet? Yes, I've, I've read both. The E-Myth Revisited also. So both of them. Yes. Yeah. And I love what he says about an entrepreneurial seizure. There's this moment where you're like, oh, I can't do this. Why am I making you money? And then you leave and you create something new. Our podcast isn't necessarily just focused on entrepreneurship, but um, I love love hearing different people's perspectives on that. And, and sometimes we explore the entrepreneurial procedure a lot. All right. So let's talk about processes and automation, since that's kind of what the podcast is supposed to be about. Tell me a little bit about some of the processes that we're going to talk about today. Sure. Look, I want to talk mainly, hopefully I can give you some value back and uh, you and your audience some value back in terms of the entrepreneurial operating system which is something that I quite recently implemented within our organization. But I mean, recently it's like six or seven months old. So what I can tell you is it's like the Michael Gerber uh, book that you're talking about. So I was working a good about 60, 70 hour weeks. I was always on the phone. I was always in Slack. I was always like working myself to the bone and, you know, having a very distributed team like I do of about 35 people, I'm awake on all time zones. I mean, there was, there was times I would only sleep three to four hours a day. And up until like a few months ago, I was still working, th- uh, you know, just sleeping three hours a, a night or something. So the, the value that I have, you know, that I'd like to present to you is about this EOS system, right? 
It's not US, it's a loose version of US. So what we like to look at first is, you know, what did it look like before you automated, delegated, or eliminated? And so it sounds like this is going to be talking, you know, more specifically to the, I would guess there's probably all three, automated, delegated, and eliminated. You told me a little bit about, you know, you're only sleeping four hours a night. What, what was it like for your team before you implemented? My team's all over the place, right? They, they don't have a clear direction. We don't have defined company values. We don't have a defined goal in progress. We don't have a defined bonus structure in progress. I'll tell you what, how I used to judge people's performance. These are my, my shortcomings as an entrepreneur and as a founder, and you know, we're here to learn. I would basically go to a guy and say like, oh, hey man, how's it going? Oh, very good. How's the work going? Oh, are you having fun at the company? Yes, I am. Okay, here's some money. Here's some bonus for you. Like that's it. Like I never knew there was no structured process of how I would measure the KPIs. There was no structured process. I mean, like I usually tell people I made a half a million to a million dollars in mistakes in terms of hires. That's a lot of money. So hopefully from this conversation, you can, you know, you can learn a few things. It sounds like we're going to zero in on delegate quite a bit because obviously hiring is all about delegate. I'm interested to see what this looks like. So you gave this a name and I didn't quite understand the name. What, what did you say the name of it was? EOS system, which is the entrepreneurial operating system. Uh, so it's written, there's a book called EOS or there's another one called Get a Grip by Gina Wickman. So Gina Wickman's a guy who's basically designed this process. We don't use the same process, but it's, it's a good way to get inspiration from. So Get a Grip is basically like a case study that he's kind of written. And that basically comes in from this company that uses a system similar to that and how that company actually improves its systems from top to bottom or bottom to top. And you can actually go through the whole process looking at it from a third person's perspective. I think this is gonna be a great discussion. Data automation has actually been going through its own version of taking all of its operating procedures, getting them written down, basically writing that rule book like it talks in the e-myth. You know, you have to write the game, so to speak, or write the rules to the game so that it's actually fun to play. I was in the car last night talking to my wife about this and we were talking about, hey, we've got a client who wants to come in and they want to rush something. And so for those that are in e-commerce, obviously that's not as common, but imagine you have a rush order, right? So somebody comes in and says, hey, I need this tomorrow. If you don't have that system defined on your website, that rush order, that order of you know $500,000 or $1,000, it's going to break the system. And it's going to create stress and frustration for the people that are on the different teams because they don't know the rules. They don't know how to handle that situation. And so it's really powerful that as you go, that you build these different processes and create those standard operating procedures so that you can actually measure a business. I'm excited about this. So so tell us a little bit about, I, I asked three questions. Where's the data now? Where does it need to go? What needs to happen to it in between? And you can swap out that word data for anything. You know, where, where are the processes now? Where do they need to go? What needs to happen to the processes in between? Tell me a little bit about what, what it looked like to implement this process that seems to have given you back some sleep. Yeah, I mean, the first, the first thing and the foremost thing was actually defining company values. Like we, believe it or not, a lot of entrepreneurs or a lot of, a lot of people in their companies actually don't define company values, right? What is, like, it seems very cliche when you say vision and mission. I, I actually didn't understand vision and mission for the longest time. I still don't, right? And that's fine. But what I do understand is what my company values are. Like, what do I stand for? What does my company stand for, right? And that exactly would be your vision and mission statement, essentially. I don't know, people use that cliche a lot. It's literally like, so for us, our principles were basically, we want to be trustworthy, right? We want to be genuine to our customers and we want to de deliver a Zappos-esque experience to our customers. So those were the three basic things. So we want to deliver 
the ultimate experience that looks like Zappos. So like that's why we're open on Christmas Day, we're open on New Year's, we're open on Hanukkah, we're open on any other like you know Lent, we're open any goddamn day of the week, right? It does not matter to us what happens. The second thing was if a customer ever comes to us and knocks on the door and says, "Can you order me a pizza?" And this has happened by the way, right? Uh, a fraternity called us and said, "Hey, they were just joking around yesterday, and they wanted to order pizza from us." So I sent the pizzas on the on 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 the card. And we got instead, we got like 10 nice reviews back from them. This is the kind of thing that, you know, that I wanted to create. But the thing was, Tela hired an integrator. And these guys are called integrators. You hire like a consultant who comes and works with you. They don't cost much, like maybe like $2,000 or something. And they, put, they make you put it on a piece of paper. And, you, and once you have your core values, right, guess what happens? Then you eliminate. You skip a step and you go, before you delegate, you got to eliminate. So you start looking at all the people in your organization. And then you figure out, these are the values that you want but who which employees actually match those values so you ask yourself three questions it's powerful because you know we, we talk about those questions like where's the data now what needs to happen to it in between where does it need to go i mean where does it need to go is what you're talking about what is the value that your company is going to provide to the world when you think about it a company is literally just a process it's a process of creating value in the world so that people can interact with you and have a consistent experience. Going back to the e-myth, he talks about the barber and he comes in and, and gets that haircut. And the first time the barber uses clippers and the second time the barber uses scissors and the third time he's got a drink on the counter and the guy comes in and he got a good haircut every time. But because it wasn't a consistent experience, he didn't feel like he could go back to that barber because he didn't know what his 15 bucks was going to get him. And so defining those core values is what allows you as a company to create systems inside your business that align with those core values and therefore give everybody the pleasure that comes from working with you. So the reason you want employees that line up with your core values and the core values of your company is so that when they are given a system that upholds those core values, they're excited about following the system. Because if they have a, a core value difference with you or a core value difference with your company, they're going to look at that and be like, ah, oh, I don't know that I want to follow that rule. I don't want I don't know that I want to follow that standard operating procedure. So it's, I, I love this. It's totally powerful and important to look at that. So you said there were three questions you were going to ask as you eliminated employees and kind of established those core values. Yeah, of course. And coming back to what you said, you know, making, make, getting a process written. The first thing we got a process written was we actually made an employee handbook. So everybody, everybody, including me, ha had to be held true to this employee handbook. So it's a, it's a manual of like 12 pages, right? It's very easy. It's very easy. You know, what do you have to follow? What will get you fired? We actually followed the European way. You know, you get a yellow card for your first mistake. And the second mistake you make is a red card. So you're, you're out of the game, right? We defined that if you, if you ever catch you lying, if you're dishonest uh, in the way you go, like these are just examples of it. So you can take that and you can write it. But creating that manual is extremely important. And once that manual is made, right? Then you apply it to all, all your employees. Once you find the top, you know, you look at your values, you look at the employee book, you look at like all these things. It becomes extremely clear for you as an entrepreneur, as a manager, who actually will live inside your culture and who actually would not. And the process is, so like even for example, for me, it was very hard because my right-hand person, the person who basically I would trust all the time, did not actually match up with the company values. He did not. And it was to this day an extremely hard thing to let him go. But we had to let him go. We had to let go of the head of our customer service team because apparently we found out that she had she had hired a, a VA to do her job. So we had, there were all these things that started coming to light. And I was like, wow, I was pretty blind. So 
you know, things in the past, it's good. So eliminate it. So eliminate a bunch of employees because we had created some process, right? So phenomenal stuff. Then came the, you know, the aspect of actually delegating. But before we delegated, we had to create a good hiring process because, you know, where do we hire from? Do we hire from the Philippines like most distributed companies do in my business? It's probably not a good idea because we actually found out that we have, they were uh, great employees hiding everywhere in the world, but it was just up to us as to how we went looking for them. So Eastern Europe, South Africa, Kenya, Tanzania, Brazil, Venezuela, phenomenal stuff, right? So you look at all these different places and you say, look, I got to look inward and, you know, stop this thing of saying, what is the easiest thing for me? Like, you know, I've read the Tim Ferriss four hour work week, so I'm just going to go to the Philippines and hire a VA. It's not that easy to like look for that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because four hour work week gave me some very interesting views of the world. That book is fascinating in terms of what it talks about. And, you know, that you mentioned that that employee of yours that had hired a VA to do her job. I mean, it, it really is important that you set that rule book. I mean, that, that employee handbook, it's literally, so think of board games, right? So you and your friends, you know, your, your teenagers, you sit down and you're playing a game. Think of how you felt when one of the people sitting at the table cheated, when one of the people didn't follow the rules. You're mad as all get out unless you were cheating too. Right. Yeah. And so so it's important that you find those individuals. And, and if you're a company that you set those core values and honesty and transparency is not one of your core values, stick together because that's I mean, you guys got to hang out because if you, you can't mix those. And so if there's one person at the table who can literally just look at that rule book and change them at any time. Nobody wants to play the game because it's no longer fun anymore. It's no longer a system that can be followed and pushed through. And the people who come and interact with your business and the people who are in the business don't think it's fun either. And so, so it's really powerful. That employee handbook is literally that set of rules that makes the game fun again. It makes it so that you and your company can can exist and do where you need to go. So I, lo I love what you're saying about you know, eliminating employees based off of that employee handbook and actually having a standard to hold people up against. That's beautiful. Yeah. And then honestly, like, I'll, I'll be honest, like all of a sudden when these things started happening, all of a sudden the employee morale was through the roof. People should not feel comfortable in the job when you're firing people, but except it went the other way for us. Employee morale was through the roof. People were all engaged. We started doing like company meetups. So another thing that, you know, the process that we actually have that we follow to this day is every two weeks, all of us, the whole company, no matter where you're in the world, we'll get together uh, every two Fridays and we'll just have a call. Like we'll make like, uh, we're given some sort of a task. So it could be like a quiz. It could be like, you know, uh, does Ronnie play sports with his left hand or right hand? Like stuff like that, like cheesy stuff. Or it could be like interesting stuff. It could be like uh, one time we had a meetup where people had to design video ads. You know, what does what does the Brandy or Software Keep experience look like? And people came in with these amazing videos uh, that they've made on YouTube and edited them and like put them out. So, and we had like a third party judge who would come and judge that. So this is another process, which it may seem quite cheesy. It may seem quite small, but in terms of the longevity, in terms of keeping a distributed team, especially like ours, high in morale, high in, in terms of being together. I mean, we have 30 employees and they spread across like, you know, six continents. So, you know, how do you keep all, all these people on the same page? You need something like this. And that's something, and, and you know, uh, once a quarter, there's a company financial health check call, which actually we, where I personally present and I talk to the company about how we are doing, what exactly happened. You know, before COVID, we had a company call and I said, look, we need, we need to cut the fat. 
and we eliminated some salaries, we eliminated all that. And I'd be happy to say that actually nobody from a company actually left over us cutting the salary, whereas they should be. They should be, they should be like leaving left, right, and center. The, the motivation levels are in fact higher than they were three months ago. The process, like what I'm trying to go with this is like, if you, if, you know, before I, I would just take uh, my company out every six months for a team retreat in the Philippines and that was it, right? That's it, let's go get drunk, blah, 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 blah. But what we're doing now is in fact 10 times more effective and a lot cheaper than me going and spending like $5,000 on a weekend. It's so powerful. I mean, what you're talking about in terms of, it's, it goes back to that game analogy. Nobody likes to play a game when they don't know the rules. And so when you created the rules and you showed people, here is how you succeed at our company. Here's how you win the game. All of a sudden, you let go of a couple of key employees that probably felt like they were getting, the house of cards was probably you know leaning on their shoulders a little bit. When you eliminated them, you showed the other people in the company, this is how you win at our game. And they lost, which is why they had to leave, is, be, is because they weren't following those rules. And so it's, it goes back to that game analogy. It, it's not fun to work on a team where you don't know the rules. And so defining those rules so that delegation can happen in a way that is you know straightforward and works for everybody is so powerful. I love what you're talking about here. I think it's such a powerful thing for our listeners. Remember this when you're delegating. Ronnie, what, what else do you have to share with us? Yeah. So in terms of delegation, what we did was before what our company used to have was a very flat structure. So it'd be me, uh, what I thought was being a very engaged boss, right? Or a very engaged employer talking to everybody. Hey, tell me what's going on. Tell me what's happening. Tell me, you know, I would talk to anybody, like no problems. Like, and what, what it did was it created this culture of people, all the people actually reaching out to me directly at any, all time, times of night, morning, afternoon. And it was my own, my own undoing. And that's probably the reason why I said I wasn't getting any sleep, right? So that was my own, that was my own problem of my own doing. First thing that we did after, you know, eliminated all these people and we started creating a hiring process and the, the playbook was we need a leadership team, right? So we decided, okay, who, what are the specific people that we need? We need somebody in HR. Okay. We have a HR guy. That's good. We need somebody, we need a new head of customer service. We found a guy, albeit a little older, you know, in his 40s, but phenomenal man manager, a person who's been around the block for 20, 25 years and knows how to lead teams and knows how to read people and all that. And I said, okay, we, do, we want this guy. And then we said, we need a CTO. Okay. So when I found these three people, I literally said, you are going to sit on the leadership team. I'm going to talk via you to the rest of the team. The only team that the, the team will have direct interaction with me is going to be when we do these Friday calls. Guess what? All of a sudden, I'm sleeping eight, nine hours a day. It's, yeah, it just changed my whole perspective. <laughs> it's it's powerful. I mean, as an entrepreneur, as a founder, as a friendly guy, I miss some of those conversations that I used to have with my development team and, and some of those guys. I mean, I talk to them once a quarter, talk to them once a month when we have our calls. I like your Friday idea where you do an activity like that. I'm totally bring, I'm taking that back to the data automation team. We do a call once a month similar to that where it's all hands and we'll spotlight somebody and you know give a kind of state of the union of you know how did last month go, that kind of thing. I love your idea of every two weeks and the activities because it's such an opportunity for team building. Because really that's what we are. We're a team. And you know, I as an entrepreneur, one of the things that I hated about working for larger companies was the bureaucracy. That same bureaucracy that you saw inside Best Buy, where they slapped your hands for not following the rules. I mean, it's interesting, right? Like we're, we're going full circle here. You didn't follow their rule book. And so you slapped their hands or they slapped your hands for making them $10 million. 
And now you've created a rule book. And if someone doesn't follow that rule book, you slap their hands, no matter the business result, except for that your rule book probably says, if you do something inside the company that ends up making us more money, I'm not going to slap your hands. I'm going to commend you, right? You've rewritten that rule book and you've said, hey, this is not how we as a company will treat people. And I love, that's what I love about entrepreneurship is we get to write our own rule book and look at it. But Ronnie, let's be honest. There are things inside this rule book that you probably don't like and that I probably don't like. What are some things that you wrote into that rule book that you were like, you know, this isn't my favorite part of it. This, I, I don't love following this part of the process, but I understand that the company, in order for it to succeed, it has to have these sort of processes. Well, look, I, I wouldn't say there's anything in, uh, in it. I mean, there's, there's, uh, since you love reading books so much, I mean, uh, may I recommend a, a great book for you in the audience? It's called The Culture Code. I love it's it. A, it's a, yeah, it's a phenomenal book called The Culture Code. Uh, I recommend it to you, which actually talks about how companies like Google and Facebook and Apple, they've actually built the culture, right? It's about how they've actually built the culture and how they, uh, you know, when they say, oh, when you go to Google, like how you drink the Kool-Aid, right? So the rule book is made around that concept, right? We don't, we don't condone anybody. We just... The only thing, you know, that we control, like you were talking, is dishonesty and being untrustworthy. They're basically like a book is based on like simple common sense rules in life. Like don't, don't, don't be late for work. Be completely transparent. Don't be dishonest. Don't tell me somebody in your family died and the next day we find you on Facebook, you're, you, you're drinking and you're having a party basically and you're hungover from the night before. Like we know what's up, man. Like don't, don't do that kind of, kind of stuff. It's, it's literally like putting together that piece uh, for the people. There's, there's nothing that I, uh, I would say that I've put in that book. Or would, would, that could be considered archaic in name or anything else. We treat our employees as equals, as individuals who are mature. And as adults, it's up to them to keep the job or to lose the job. If you ever mistreat a customer, we're going to revoke access the same day and please don't come back to work. Because like I said, going back to company values, that, that's the first company. Remember I said, Zappo has experience. So if you ever try and hide your mistakes, then maybe don't come to work anymore. Yep. I love that those core values as they connect and and do that. It, it's just such a it's a really powerful way to understand what's out there and and not only what's out there but how it affects your overall ability to to connect and do those pieces. So, as you grew and as you eliminated, as you created these processes, as you you know got the leadership team, you started to gain back your sleep because you created that leadership team. Tell me about, I mean, the hierarchy thing, it sounds like originally you liked the idea of a flat structure. And I'm guessing the reason you liked the idea of a flat structure is because you didn't like it when you didn't have access to the boss back when you were there. I just want to point this out. That's one thing that you did implement that you don't absolutely love because there are people now who don't have access to you that eh, you kind of wish that maybe there was a way to create a company where you could have access to the boss, but that wasn't sustainable for you. Yeah, I mean it's unsustainable. If you wanna if you wanna have, let's say, an organization, anything about twenty people or anything about ten people, you need to you need to have a hierarchical structure in in case you you decide you like your sleep, right? If it's a small if it's a small organization or like maybe like you you have like WhatsApp of like you know twelve people and then you're selling it to Facebook for a billion dollars, you have no problems. All twelve people are developers. All people speak the same language. Everybody's on the same plane. Uh, so it makes sense to be in that in that in that book, right? But if you're multidisciplinary, having different job functions, having different job job circles, you work in different time zones, then it probably makes sense for you to have a hierarchical structure. Just so powerful to recognize that each business is going to need different hierarchy, different look at those things. And I love that we just poked a hole in the idea of flat. Let me poke a hole in it as well. 
I also, when I very first started, was all about the flat organization. I loved the idea of everyone having access to the decision maker and and having access to the entrepreneur, the, the founder. And, and so that's how I built the company. And I discovered that doing that actually created a single point of failure for the whole business where there was stuff that only lived inside my head. The only person who knew where that was or where it goes, it was inside my head. And once I discovered that and we realized what was going on there, my main project manager, her name's Addison, she came to me and said, look, Will, I get that you want to have this product that's somewhat ambiguous, but we can't do that. Nothing can live inside your head anymore. It now has to be out and on paper and simple. So when you bring me something that we're going to build, because I was the main sales guy for a long time. You know, when you bring me something, it's got to fit into these categories and everybody's got to understand what these categories are. And so she fought me hard. It was like an hour long meeting where she she fought me on on this new product we were creating. And, and I said, you know what? Fine. You're right. You're totally right. We have to create a system where nothing is inside my head. And then the other day we were on a phone call. And and my assistant jumps in and she's like, well, I think Addison's totally smart enough to make that call as to when this should happen or that should happen. And I rose my hand and said, we as a company have decided that nothing inside our company is going to live inside anyone's head. It's going to live on a piece of paper as a standard operating procedure. And we're going to make a decision about when this happens based on an entire company understanding that. And they were all like, Oh, like Will totally brought it back around. But that core value of taking it, you know, it's no longer arbitrary. It's something that it's a system. It's a game. It's an ability for the company as a whole to work together was so powerful. On the contrary of being upset or frustrated that I called them out on it, they were excited. They were so excited that we as a team had created a culture where we document things, where we we go through and we, we go this, my assistant, has now been nicknamed the documentation deputy. And it wasn't even, it was a nickname that was given by another employee. So going back to delegation, everybody, when you delegate, when you go through that process and figure out who to eliminate from your team, you've got to document that, that those processes, you've got to document those values and then hold people accountable. Oh yeah. And, and it all, like in your case, what you're saying is it all came full circle, right? I mean, you probably like, resisted it you said you had you had this conversation for an hour you're like excuse me why do i have to do this man like you know me already bro like what what's what's up with this and then you know you have you have a lot of examples it's like me the same thing it's like i was like oh why do i need to create these values bro like what what's up with this stuff you know everybody knows what's up yeah no they don't nobody knows what's up because the time you put it into and if they see like the the big cheese like yourselves following it to the t i'm sure the uh, the employees also feel quite motivated that like you know if will can do it then so must i so you're setting the right example for your whole team as well. May I, may I say that? Amen. Amen. Yep. Well, we're, we're getting down to the last couple of minutes of our episode here. Ronnie, what parting piece? You've you've dropped so many pieces of wisdom for the entrepreneurs and, and other listeners that are here on our call. What parting piece of wisdom would you have for these individuals that are interested in automation, delegation, and elimination? Ah, <laughs> I don't have much wisdom, man. But I would say, you know, if you if you have some money, I would I would say like go. Most people look for like coaches. Most people look for all the other things. I would look for look for somebody who's an integrator. They're called EOS integrators. Like they, you can find them online or 
or something, they don't cost you much. They'll cost you like a thousand, two thousand. And if you feel like your team is getting above like five people, maybe start from day one with these people, but don't make the same mistakes as I did. I made my mistakes over two, three years, and I told you like half a million, six hundred thousand dollars in like bad hiring decisions. That's a lot of money that you could have to yourself, right? So maybe it's going to cost you twelve thousand dollars versus six hundred thousand dollars. So you know that's uh, an extremely large gap. So perhaps it's a good idea to start earlier. The earlier you do it, the better it is for you. Amen. So just to reiterate, EOS integrators, that's a, a fantastic piece of advice. And I'll be honest, you know, if you're looking at this and you're you're looking at, at where to go with this and how to attack this process, maybe EOS isn't your cup of tea, but find your operating system, find what you should be looking at and see, you know, what does that look like for you? Where do you go? What do you do as you as you get there? So another book that I love by this team is called Traction. It's, it's Gina Whitman as well. So so get a grip on your business. This EOS system is actually something that was recommended to me by a, a good friend of mine as well and has been pivotal to creating that system the, the rule book, as uh, the e-myth describes it, to get there. Thank you so much. All right. So any services, specials, or other things like that that you'd like our audience to know about in case they want to get in touch with you to look at, at some of these other pieces? I know. I don't usually do sales calls, man. I, was, <laughs> I kind of feel like, kind of feel shy about it. If you, if you like, my watch website is called branchio.com, P-R-A-N-Z-I-O.com. Or you can reach out to me directly, Ronnie, R-O-N-N-I-E at branzio.com. So. so it's B-R-A-N-Z-I-O. Super excited uh, that you were able to join us today, Ronnie. Had a fantastic time talking to you about delegation and elimination. So thanks, everybody, for joining us on this episode of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. And that's it for today. You've been listening to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, hosted by Paul Christensen.